Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. All right, uh, Mark Bianchi here from the Cowan Energy team with another installment of our Energy Transition podcast series, now with a focus on nuclear power and small modular and advanced reactors. Today, we've got Clay Sell, who is the CEO of X Energy. X Energy is a front runner in advanced reactors with a high temperature gas cooled reactor design and unique pebble structured triso fuel. Prior to X Energy, Clay was the president of Hunt Energy from 2008 to 2018. And prior to that, he was the deputy secretary of energy in the George W. Bush administration. So Clay, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, to kick it off, maybe just give us a, a high level overview of how X Energy got started, uh, what's so special about your offering and, and maybe uh, set the table on, on the commercialization timeline. Mark, it's great to be with you. X Energy was started in 2009 quite an extraordinary guy named Dr. Cam Gaffarian. He's not an energy guy. He's not a nuclear engineer. He had made his fortune in the space business and had built an incredibly successful engineering support service contractor to NASA. He had made his fortune that way. Along the lines, he had created a school in Kinshasa that provided education for 700 students in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. He was over there in 2009 and he was struck by the realization that no matter what he attempted to do for these important children from an educational standpoint, their future would always be constrained by the energy poverty of their economy. And Cam was inspired at that moment to do something about it. He was inspired to create a company that provided clean, safe, secure, and affordable energy. He took a a systematic approach to identifying what that technological approach should be. He started with hydrogen. He eventually looked at a series of nuclear technologies, but it was a conversation with a guy named Andy Kadak, who was a professor at MIT that introduced him to the pebble bed technology. In that era, uh, one of the most exciting advanced reactor initiatives anywhere in the world was the pebble bed modular reactor program out of South Africa. That program was unfortunately canceled by the South African government in about 2008. Cam was inspired to form X Energy in 2009, and he really enlisted uh, a number of the leading intellectuals out of the Pebble Bed Modular Reactor Program in South Africa to come to the United States and work off the open source technology that had been developed to, to bring that technology to the marketplace here in the United States. And so our technology is high temperature gas cooled reactors. The gas, the heat transfer fluid is helium. We use a, a triso fuel in a pebble fuel form. And it's really an amazing technology, which I'm sure we'll get into in, in more detail uh, through this call. But that that's how it all started. Uh, I'll just say, you know, Cam Gaffarian is an instinct entrepreneur. And he put a lot of his belief and a lot of his capital to work, you know, 13 years ago to really put our company in the position it is today to be the leading technology vendor in the great energy transition that we're in between now and 2050. I really regard it as the greatest business opportunity of our lifetime, the greatest social impact opportunity of our lifetime. And all of us at X Energy are so appreciative for Cam's vision in getting this a company going 13 years ago so that we're in a position uh, to be the first to market in this next era of nuclear power. That's a great uh, a great introduction. Maybe talk to us a little bit about the timeline to commerciality. What are the financial sponsors right now and and you know what kind of capital is needed between now and, and commerciality to kind of make it all happen? So let me start with the timeline to commerciality. One of the great advantages that we have at X Energy is we were selected by the Department of Energy for the Advanced Reactor Demonstration Program, which was honestly, one of the greatest competitions that has ever occurred in our industry. The Department of Energy said we'll pay 50% of the costs for a commercial project as long as it can be online in in seven years. We put forward a $2.5 billion program that would involve completing the design of our reactor, 
it would involve completing the design, construction, and fabrication of our first fuel core uh, in our Triso X facility in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And of course, it involved the construction of a first-of-a-kind commercial plant in Washington State. The sum total of all of that was approximately two and a half billion, and half of that is being provided by the U.S. government. So that is a, a tremendous source of, of capital that allows us to achieve the key elements in order to get to commerciality. So element number one is to complete the design of our XE100 plant. That's on rough order about a $600 million effort. So the US government, and I should thank all of the taxpayers that listen to your podcast for their role in this, but the US government will pay half that cost. That's a, that's a huge benefit to us to complete the design of our commercial nuclear power plant. And we're on track to complete that by the first quarter of 2025. So that's the first piece. The second piece is to uh, complete the design of our fuel facility and to fabricate fuel. Uh, we will break ground on our commercial fuel facility, which I should note will be the first new commercial fuel facility constructed in the United States in over 50 years, a commercial fuel facility for advanced reactors like ours. Uh, we'll break ground on that facility later this year, and it will be operational in the 2025 timeframe in time to produce the first core for our first project in Washington State. A third element of that timeline is the regulatory pathway. And so uh, next year, we will file our construction permit application uh, with the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission associated it's, you know, for our technology on a specific site. And our customer uh, for that project is Grant County Public Utility District, which is a member entity of Energy Northwest, which is uh, uh, the only nuclear operator in the Pacific Northwest today. So next year we'll file our construction permit application. That will initiate about a 27 to 30 month process to get our license approved, which will then be followed by about a 30 month process to, to perform the nuclear construction on our facility, which should bring the first unit online in, in the mid 2028 timeline. This program was initiated under contract with the Department of Energy in 2021. We remain uh, on track to bring our first unit online in 2028, you know, achieving the goals of the program of, uh, of seeing a project come online in approximately seven years. Well, that, that's great. And, and I've got some more questions that we'll, we'll hit on in a bit on, on the licensing process and, and sort of how that it may influence some of the other projects that you've got. You've talked about this letter of intent with Dow and, and we'll get into that, but maybe before we get there, let's spend some time on the fuel. You're using Triso and then you've got a, a little bit of a variation on it, your Triso X design in the Pebble. Can you just talk about you know, what Triso is and then what you're doing that's different to it? You know, what's the Pebble all about? How is that different from, from other evolutions of Triso that might be out there that others are trying to pursue? Uh, Triso fuel has been described by the Department of Energy as the most robust fuel form ever invented. What's unique about it is uh, we, we use higher enriched material. So in our case, it's, it's, it's uranium that is 15.5% U-235. And U-235 is, is the, you know, that, that's the magic isotope when it comes to fission power. And so we have a higher percentage of U-235 in our in our fuel, but we start with a small, I mean, a tiny 450 micron, you know, about the, the size of the tip of a pencil lead, little, little piece of uranium fuel. And then we take that fuel and we encapsulate it in multiple layers of ceramic material. And this ceramic material does two really important things. Number one, it traps virtually all of the waste products that are produced during the burnup of this fuel. So it traps them permanently. And number two, the ceramic material that wraps the uranium cannot melt at any temperature that it would see under any scenario during the life of the reactor. And so it's a key element of the intrinsic safety of our reactor. That is, we start with fuel that cannot melt down under any scenario. Now, in our case, we take that, that tiny little ceramic wrapped 
uranium kernel, which is once it's wrapped, it's about a millimeter in diameter. And we pack 19,000 of those kernels together in a proprietary way. They are perfectly spaced and they are wrapped in graphite in the shape of a ball, what we call a pebble, which is about the size of a billiard ball. And that is our fuel form. And it's an unbelievable fuel form. It's, uh, it's incredibly robust. It cannot melt down. And because it's round, we put it in the reactor core and it allows us to fuel our reactor core continuously. So the pebbles flow through the reactor core like gumballs through a gumball machine. When they come out, we measure them. If they still have energy left in them, they go back to the top. If they are spent and all of the energy has been used, they're, they're burnt up, if you will, then they go to, to, to spent fuel storage. But our, the fuel is the key to our whole design. And it's one of the main elements that allows us to ensure the regulators and the public that our reactor is intrinsically safe. It cannot melt down. And it really allows us to think about nuclear power and the way we use it, the way we cite it, and the missions that we want it to accomplish in a completely different way. I get how the design can prevent a meltdown or sort of meltdown isn't even part of the conversation, but what does this design do, if anything, for proliferation? Is there an element of sort of avoiding nuclear proliferation for weapons because of this design? And then you mentioned once the fuel is sort of burnt, the pebble goes into waste storage, but is there is there also sort of an argument that from a, a long-term waste perspective, this is maybe a better mousetrap? Yeah, from a proliferation standpoint, there's there's a number of reasons why the Department of Energy describes this as the most robust fuel ever invented. And part of the robustness goes to its proliferation resistance. Uh, there's less than seven grams of, of heavy metal uranium in a pebble, and it is wrapped in these multiple ceramic layers and graphite that make it very, very difficult, virtually impossible to separate the usable nuclear material from this fuel form. So that's the first layer of protection. But then over the course of irradiating the fuel in the reactor, we really consume or burn up most of the special, special nuclear material that would be of interest to a malicious actor. So there's very little material per, per pebble, virtually impossible to separate it from the ceramic and graphite layers. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you, one, um, a nuclear physicist that's, that's actually a member of Congress had us come brief him on the proliferation resistance. And uh, we briefed him, we sent our top scientists, we had extensive discussions, we wrote a lot of papers. And at the end, he called and said, well, Clay, I'm not saying it's impossible to get special nuclear material out of the pebble, but I will admit that there are a thousand better ways for a malicious actor to get material than, than dealing with your fuel form. And that was one of the greatest endorsements we could have heard from a, from a non-proliferation standpoint. Now, from a waste standpoint, here's the real benefit. This is a fantastic fuel form, the triso pebble. It's an even better waste form because it traps all of the nuclear waste in this ceramic and graphite fuel form for a geologic time period. That's number one. It's a fantastic waste form as it is. But secondly, because of the multiple passes the fuel takes through the reactor, again, we get a much more efficient utilization of the uranium. So a typical light water plant, I'm gonna use numbers which don't mean anything to you except just as a comparison. A typical light water plant gets approximately 40,000 megawatt days per ton of uranium. That's a measure of the power that is produced. In our case, we get 165,000 megawatt days per ton. So over four times as, as much. So that means we're a much more efficient user of the material. And therefore for megawatt day of, of power produced, we are producing much less waste. Now we still produce waste, and we produce waste in this fantastic waste form. And this form will be deposited like other forms of nuclear waste in a permanent 
geologic repository uh, that the Department of Energy will own and operate. And so our, our waste form will go the way of all other commercial waste here in the United States. The fuel's really interesting, but you know, TRISO, your your version of TRISO, and then all the other advanced reactor designs uh, require higher enriched starting point, right? So we've got We've got HALU that that's needed, but we don't have any HALU manufacturing in the U.S. There was $700 million in IRA to stand up HALU supply. You know, maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, what else needs to happen to really stand up the amount of HALU manufacturing capacity in the U.S. that that's needed for your purposes and, and the rest of the industry. Uh, it, it's a great question, Mark. Uh, th- there's Today, there's not a high assay LEU supplier. And, and, and let's, let me just, let, let, me, let me level set with some terms. Most commercial reactors in the US use something called low enriched uranium, LEU, which is uranium that is less than 5% U-235. So if you dig uranium out of the ground and there's huge amounts of uranium in the ground, it's gonna be less than 1% U-235. 0.7% U-235. Uh, in order to get it to LEU stage, most light water reactors use fuel enriched to f- about four and a half or 4.75%. And so you have to increase the percentage of U-235 and that's really done through a, a variety of different isotope separation uh, uh, approaches, but the most common technology used today is a, is a centrifuge technology. It takes a tremendous amount of energy to get the uranium from 0.7% U-235 to almost 5%. What we need in our reactor is 15.5%. There is no supplier of that today in the United States because until we came along, there was no commercial demand. This is not something that's difficult to do. Uh, It's existing technology from existing producers. The only thing the producers are waiting for is a demand signal so that they have confidence that when they invest the roughly half a billion dollars it takes to build a high assay LEU cascade, that they'll get a return on their money. And so we have a lot of customers in, in the wings that are coming. Those customers today are not prepared to enter into a 60 year long-term offtake agreement. They will be in a couple of years, but not today. So we need to get HALU going today. And this is where the U.S. government has stepped in with a really innovative solution. They've said, hey, we, the U.S. government, will provide that commercial certainty in the interim to get this industry going. So we're going to step in and we're going to buy you know, a certain quantity of 15.5% material over a certain number of years that will give confidence to the various enrichment companies that they will get a return on their investment. And so the U.S. government was appropriated through the Inflation Reduction Act 700 million for this. Department of Energy is gonna roll out a program where the enrichers can enter into these offtake agreements. And we expect that a U.S. enrichment industry for HALU will be in place by the 2027-2028 timeframe. Our commercial, uh, we'll, we'll have ample commercial off-takers prepared to enter into long-term off-take agreements by that time. And this, this bridge role, which is a classic government role uh, that, that they will have played, will be complete. And the material that they bought can then be reintroduced into the marketplace. And it'll be really a win-win for the nuclear industry and it will be provide a great return to the U.S. taxpayer uh, for the facilitation of the market that they're providing. Is the HALU enrichment, the ultimate HALU that gets produced, interchangeable from fuel manufacturer to fuel manufacturer? So you guys are looking for 15.5%. You know, are there other designs that want different enrichment levels? And then you know, everybody's got to have a little bit different plant or can the plants just be tuned to, you know, whatever enrichment levels needed and you just sort of make a batch for, for X energy and then you make a batch for, you know, other advanced reactor design B and advanced reactor design C and so forth. There's really two different ultimate products that become the feedstock for, for nuclear fuel. It's either uranium metal that is enriched to, you know, some level 
or it's uranium oxide powder enriched to some level. So in our case at X Energy, the feedstock that we require for our fuel plant is uranium oxide powder enriched to 15.5%. Uh, you know, we work very closely with the other ARDP winner, which is TerraPower. TerraPower has a, uh, a sodium-cooled uh, reactor that uses metallic fuel enriched at something approaching or around 19%. So they'll need a different feedstock. The enrichment process is the same. So enriching the material up, it's, it's actually, you, know, you take the uranium, you, you turn it into a uranium hexafluoride gas, you enrich the gas, and then you take that gas and you convert it either into uranium oxide or uranium metal. It's a little different process for different reactors, but those are all, I don't wanna say it's, it's just manufacturing, but in many respects, it's just manufacturing. Uh, the uranium enrichers, the deconverters, they know how to do it. It's all existing technology, and we don't assess a lot of risk in getting the, mater the material for our fuel plant. Great. Well, maybe on, on the fuel plant, so how far along is this in terms of technology readiness? Have you demonstrated the, the capability of being able to produce the pebble now, or is there some extra technological advancement that needs to, to occur to get there? You know, Maybe you could hit on any licensing that has to occur around the fuel manufacturing, if there's, if there's something to discuss there. We have been uh, operating pilot fuel facility using commercial scale equipment in rented space at Oak Ridge National Lab since 2016. I have a well-established track record. This is a project that we did in partnership with the U.S. Department of Energy, uh, something we have a tremendous amount of pride in uh, the way we, we've worked with them. So we've been producing fuel forms exactly like we will use in our reactor in our facility for a number of years. Even the fuel forms that, that will go through confirmatory uh, testing, confirmatory irradiation, all of those have been produced in our fuel facility. I will tell you that we've also produced fuel elements for many other advanced reactor uh, manufacturers and also for the Department of Defense and NASA for space nuclear uh, applications. And so we're, we're meeting a number of customer needs and a number of customer requirements out of our pilot facility in, in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. We're going to build our commercial fuel facility also in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. We're very, very proud of our relationship to the community there. That facility requires a, a, a license from the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. We made our license application to the NRC back in April. Uh, we anticipate about a 24-month license approval process, which puts us well on track to be operational and producing fuel for our first XE100, and quite frankly, also meeting the TRISO fuel needs of other customers uh, well in advance of their requirements. So the third party element of this whole thing is, is TRISO fuel. It's not TRISO X, or, or will you potentially be selling TRISO X to other advanced reactors? Every uh, a TRISO fuel element that comes out of our factory is branded as TRISO X. That is our proprietary brand. We've done a number of things under the leadership of Dr. Pete Papano, who runs TRISO X for us, to improve quality and reduce the cost and provide a higher level of certainty in our manufacturing process. A number of those uh, inventions that we've made over the last Half dozen years are now protect, you know, they're, they're patent protected. We have a very uh, unique and compelling uh, manner in which we produce the fuel. And that's why we call it TRISO X. It's a little something different than uh, the way TRISO has historically been made by some of our competitors. Maybe let's shift over to, to talk about the reactor design. So you're using a, a high temperature gas cooled reactor. This is different from conventional light water as, as you previously discussed, but maybe if you can give us a, a little bit of an overview of the advanced reactor categories that there are. So gas cooled, liquid metal fast reactors, molten salt, where does your design fit in? And you know, what, be, what would be my, maybe some of the trade-offs that would exist between the different reactor designs? You know, all, all reactor designs, you know, you can think of it fundamentally in terms of the form of the fuel, metal, oxide, 
metal clad, ceramic clad, the enrichment of the fuel, everything from no enrichment to, to, to up to 19% enrichment. And then you can think about it in terms of what is the heat transfer fluid? Uh, you know, is, is it water? Is it, uh, is it uh, helium in our case? Is it uh, liquid sodium in the case of, of others? Is it molten salt in the case of others? And then you can think in terms of the, the neutron spectrum. Is it a thermal spectrum or, or is it a fast spectrum? Those are basically the dials that, that get turned on the various different designs. Interestingly, the U.S. today, the U.S. nuclear industry is dominated by light water reactors, which were designed specifically for use in nuclear submarines. And, uh, and that was the design that Hyman Rickover came up with in the 1950s. Um, and, and, you know, the first place nuclear power was ever used was it was in the Nautilus submarine and uh, when it went underway in 1954. And then later uh, that, that very reactor, that light water reactor that was designed for the submarine was taken out of the submarine. It was put on ground, uh, dry ground, and, and that became the first commercial uh, reactor in the United States. And, and sometimes the winning idea is not the best idea. It's just the one that that you have and that there's an infrastructure built around to execute on. And that's really how light water reactors became the reactor of choice for the commercial sector in the United States. Boiling water reactors really built by GE, pressurized water reactors built by Westinghouse or combustion engineering. Those designs came out of the uh, Naval Nuclear Program and they kind of became the standard in the US. But even as those reactor designs were becoming the standard, there was always the view in our community that there were actually better designs, more elegant designs, safer designs, and designs that did not present the risk of meltdown like we saw at TMI at Three Mile Island in 1979, or like we saw at the Fukushima plant. One of those designs was high temperature gas cooled reactors using triso fuel. And of all of the other designs that have been developed and tested around the world during this light water reactor era, the one that has gotten the most traction, the most significant operational pedigree is high temperature gas cooled reactors and particularly those using a pebble fuel form. Although the technology originated uh, in the United States, it was really folks in the UK and then uh, in, in Germany that, that really advanced the state of the technology. The most recent advanced reactor that has come online anywhere in the world today is, well, it's unfortunately in China. They brought online last December a high temperature gas cooled reactor using pebble bed fuel. So it, it's a technology that is very well regarded. It's very well understood. It has years and in some cases, decades of operational pedigree. And we just saw a unique opportunity in this era to take this technology, really reinvent it for uh, the particular missions that we wanna accomplish here, to size it uh, in a way that is smaller so that we can manufacture components in a factory so that we can size it appropriately for industrial uh, uh, applications. So the, the technology is well-established, it's well-proven. The U.S. Department of Energy spent $700 million 10 to 15 years ago, advancing this fuel form, advancing the regulatory case. And, and we at X Energy are really the inheritors of all of this work that has gone on before us. It's why high temperature gas-cooled reactors are generally regarded by our industry and those that, that watch us as the advanced technology that is nearest to the marketplace. Uh, and it's because of this long technological pedigree that has been advanced through many countries and over several decades uh, to get us where we are today. 
One thing that stands out to me is, you know, you're unique because your your plan is to manufacture the fuel and also provide the reactor. So there's a bit of a razor, razor blade model, although I'm sure you're not going to be giving any of it away for free. But can third parties manufacture the pebble fuel that will go into your reactor? Because I'm wondering, you know, as a would-be reactor buyer, I might be wondering, you know, well, X Energy is great. They've got this this wonderful reactor design, but who knows they're going if they're going to be around in thirty years or forty years when I may need to be refueling. You know, what can you say to to people that might be concerned about that risk? The history of the of the nuclear industry is historically the vendors of the technology, whether it's GE for their boiling water reactor or Westinghouse or Areva for their PWRs, have also been the supplier of fuel. Uh, there's a fuel facility owned by uh, Framatone, the French company. Uh, they, they produce reactors. There's a fuel facility in the U.S. owned by GE. There's a fuel facility in the U.S. owned by Westinghouse. Later this year, there'll be a commercial fuel facility, or in, in two years when we come online, there'll be a commercial fuel facility owned by X-Energy. So historically, there have been a number of contractual mechanisms and structures to, to, to manage the risk around fuel certainty. And all of those, our customers will be able to take advantage of. We are in the business of making a market for TRISO fuel with our customers. And you know one of the great things about uh, our free enterprise system is when we make that market, we know that we will draw competitors into the space. A BWXT, attempts to make triso fuel. Uh, General Atomics in the past has made triso fuel. So once we create the market demand, there, there will be other competitors. That's actually a good thing for our customers because it reduces their fuel security risk. And it's also a great motivator for us to ensure that we continue to produce the highest quality fuel at the lowest price so we can continue to earn the business of our customers. So, you know, the fuel uh, security concerns, it's nothing new or unique than what our um, industry has faced. And I can tell you there has never been a fuel disruption of note in the 75 plus year history of the U.S. nuclear industry. And so it's, it's something that our industry is well suited to address. Great. Maybe you could talk to us a little bit about the supply chain for the reactor and, and how you handle, how you plan to handle that. Are you going to be just a design company and having third parties make everything? Will you have manufacturing that you're doing in-house? Just how, how will all that work? Uh, Mark, thank you for letting me get to one of my favorite topics. We are not just a design house. We endeavor to be the world's greatest project delivery organization. And, and I will tell you that the number one thing that has held our industry back for the last 30 plus years, in my judgment, is the inability for our industry to deliver projects approximately on time and approximately on budget. Project execution has been a real challenge. And when projects like the Westinghouse Southern Nuclear Project down at Plant Vogel, you know, that was, that, that's a project that was supposed to come online you know, a couple of years ago at a price substantially less than what it's going to come in line, you know, and it's, it's kind of, it's taken double the time and double the cost. And we at X Energy have become uh, real students of project delivery, what's worked well, what is, has not worked well. So we're doing a number of things differently. And I'm going to get to the supply chain question, but the most important thing that we're doing different than any nuclear vendor that's ever gone before is we will have our plant 100% designed, 100% designed all the way through construction drawings before we ever break ground on our first project. That's number one. So when we get the construction permit application, we will know exactly to the last bolt what we're building for our customer. A second thing that we're going to do, which technology gives us, which our predecessors did not have, is we will design and build this plant in its entirety in 4D virtual scheduling. So we will build this plant virtually before we ever scratch the ground in Washington State. 
which will build confidence with our constructors that we have it properly planned. The third thing that we're doing is we are bringing our constructors in, in-house now two and a half years before we complete the final design of our project. So our preferred constructors, which are Burns and McDonald, who has teamed with Dan Zimmerman and Zachary Nuclear, those two constructors are working together with us planning the construction plan for an XC100. So that will all be completed um, and, and finalized again before we start construction and before we get our final construction permit. And then the fourth thing that we're doing is we're engaged heavily early on with our supply chain. We've identified multiple suppliers for all of our key components because of the safety case of our reactor. We have many fewer safety related systems that are required in our power station than a traditional light water plant. And that's important because safety related systems are very expensive and can only be procured from a, a nuclear regulated supply chain member. We have approximately five safety-related systems versus 30 safety-related systems in a modern light water reactor plant. And so that reduces dramatically the amount of work that we have to do on our supply chain. And it allows us to buy many more of our components from traditional commercial off-the-shelf vendors. We're getting all of that mapped. We have selected all of our key suppliers on the major systems as of today. They are heavily involved in our uh, design and planning process. And, and we have strategic supplier agreements with those entities so that we can control uh, the quality and the pricing uh, for our customers and give the, the bulk purchase pricing benefit directly to our customers. So there are a number of things that we're doing to completely transform the way nuclear projects are delivered in the United States and around the world. But the last thing and the most important thing that we're doing is we have successfully recruited the very best of the, of the US nuclear industry into X Energy. Uh, George Vander Hayden, who previously was the CNO at the Emirates Nuclear Energy Corporation, which built the very successful Baraka project in the UAE. George leads our commercial division. He's brought a number of key executives from the Baraka project to X Energy. So we have best in class quality individuals, best in class procurement supply chain individuals, best in class project delivery individuals. We are building the team that will deliver hundreds of XC100 projects, you know, over the next several decades all with the goal of permanently breaking the trend that the U.S. nuclear industry has been on of not delivering projects approximately on time and approximately on budget. Probably the number one pushback from public utility investors, right? Is this this aversion to get yeah. involved in, in a verbal yeah. type project? Right. And Mark, I mean, it should be. And they should be properly reticent to accept uh, my contention, which is why we're so heavily focused on the execution of our first project. Uh, we just, it's not just about proving out our technology. It's not just about proving out our fuel form, but it's about proving out our project delivery model so that utility executives and industrial manufacturers that are seeking to buy an electric generator or a carbon-free steam producer, when they make that decision, they need to have confidence that the cost and the schedule are approximately what, what, what they've been told. And, and we know that when we execute well on the first plant, that will put us in position to literally build as many of these plants as we can print over the coming decades. It's really all about project execution. That is our focus. Yeah, that that's a great lead into kind of the next the next point that I wanted to talk about is you know the the customer pipeline. So you have the demonstration project and that that's moving forward, but then you recently announced a, an LOI with Dow. Maybe talk to us about what that LOI entails and and what the timeline for that project and and other 
projects that are outside of the demonstration program could look like? Because I wonder your regulatory approval, which may be highly certain internally, there may be questions from industry about, well, what's how long is the regulatory process going to take and so forth? And maybe you could also talk to kind of how you're going about it relative to maybe new scale. With new scale, they had a standard design approval, and then they'll have to get approval for the plant they're going to build, but they can at least go in front of customers and say, hey, look, NRC approved our design. So you're going a bit different route. Maybe just talk to us about you know how that works and how the, the customer uh, adoption process would work within that context. You know, our design is the, the nuclear island, the nuclear reactor, and the steam generator is a standard design that we will standardize across all applications. Now, what you do with the steam coming out of the nuclear island, whether you use it to generate electricity or you use it for any variety of industrial applications, that's on the conventional side of the plant, and that will change and be adjusted uh, flexibly to meet whatever the, the needs of the customer are. But the nuclear island will be a standardized plant. Let, let, let me talk about Dow Chemical. But first, let me put the challenge that the globe is facing into context. You know, people talk about decarbonization as a, as a social aim, as a, uh, as a public good that should be achieved. And we accept that at X Energy. I personally accept the need to decarbonize the global economy. We have theories on, on how to decarbonize the transportation sector through electric vehicles, hydrogen vehicles, uh, uh, other low carbon emitting uh, technologies. We know how to decarbonize the electric sector with renewables and, and, and nuclear power. And, but 25% of the world's carbon emissions, one fourth of the world's carbon emissions, come from the industrial sector. And this is the industri industrial sector that needs heat for various manufacturing processes. And the industrial sector achieves that heat by burning things. 91% of what they burn are hydrocarbons. 9% of what they burn is biomass. All of that burning, combusting, produces carbon emissions. So it's a very, very intense part of the decarbonization challenge. And it's one that renewables can't really offer much help on. Uh, light water reactors can't offer much help on because they don't produce high enough temperatures. But our reactor, the XE100, produces steam at 565 degrees C, which makes it attractive and usable for a number of industrial heat applications. And so we see a unique market to address in providing carbon-free steam and carbon-free heat for the industrial sector. And we think it's an opportunity that is really going to both transform our company and go a long way in decarbonizing the industrial sector. Uh, Dow Chemical is the leading chemical manufacturer in the world. They have a 125-year history of bringing innovations to the marketplace. And Dow Chemical has made a commitment to achieve net zero carbon emissions on scope one and scope two emissions by 2050. And that's a big challenge. And they have acknowledged that their plan to do that will be made much better with carbon-free nuclear-generated steam. We began engaging with Dow Chemical well over a year ago on how our technology could be utilized at any number of their sites to, to decarbonize the industrial sector. And we announced uh, two weeks ago to bring a plant uh, to decarbonize one of their manufacturing facilities along the U.S. Gulf Coast by January 1, 2030 with an XE100 nuclear power plant. Dow Chemical also indicated that they were prepared to invest to take a minority stake in our company, which is something that we're, we're, we're very proud uh, to have them in. The news of this is, is quite remarkable. No U.S. company and very few foreign companies have ever sought to completely decarbonize an industrial manufacturing process with nuclear power. That's what Dow has committed to do. That's what X Energy is committed to enable. 
and we see it the beginning of a of a massive industry opportunity, not just for X Energy, but for other nuclear power stations that can produce very high temperature steam. We're really excited about this this opportunity. And and the announcement with Dow came on the heels of an announcement about a month ago, uh, where we. Uh, are teaming with Ontario Power Generation, which is the leading nuclear utility in Canada, to bring our technology to the industrial sector in, in Canada. So I, I believe that X-Energy technology will be used for more nuclear power stations than any other technology in Canada in the coming decades. And we're so pleased to be partnered with Canada's leading uh, nuclear utility to bring our technology to the marketplace. More announcements will be coming from Canada soon. It's a good preview. We'll, we'll look out for some of those. Circle back on the on the licensing process for us, if you could. You know, One of the things that the folks that have light water reactors have said is, well, you know, the NRC is very familiar with light water, that they're, they, they like stuff that they're familiar with, so it can streamline the permitting and, and licensing process. You know, you were talking about 30 months or up to, th- I guess, 27 to 30 months um, for you guys, like what, what gives you confidence that, you know, that's really the window, uh, given that we're, you know, NRC is working with a new technology relative to, you know, light water. A number of things give me confidence. Number one, I've got a history in this town. And, and so I've been in and around uh, the, the NRC from a policy standpoint uh, for a long time. You know, I, I've known all of the chairmen for the last 25 years. I think the commission is particularly well-led now under Chairman Chris Hansen. They have a strong commission to go with it. I mean, our company has been directly engaged in pre-licensing discussions with the NRC since 2018, so four years now. We filed a number of limited topical reports and white papers that we have been able to engage the NRC staff on that both identify and and go a long way in resolving a number of the technical issues associated with securing uh, a, a license to construct and then operate. We, we chose to go with a, a construction permit followed by an operating permit under code section 50, under part 50 uh, of, the, of the NRC code, because we think that is the lowest risk, shortest time period and best approach. We recognize that the approach that we're taking is different than the one that New Scale took, uh, where they sought to get their design certified first and then went out and tried to sell that certified design to a specific project. We've involved our project owners in tweaks and evolutions to our design so that the design that we get the first construction permit for, we're confident it's exactly what the customers want. We do anticipate that, you know, after a few part 50 processes that we will then take our standard well understood design and we'll get a part 52 design certification that's, that will then further accelerate our ability to get projects licensed and constructed on a go forward basis. But uh, we have a lot of confidence in our, in our regulatory approach. Uh, we have a great team at, at X Energy. We're highly engaged with the NRC, with our customers. It's our job to put forward an extraordinarily complete and satisfactory uh, permit application. That's what we're working on now. We believe if we do that, we, we will get a timely and fair consideration from the regulator that will allow our projects to maintain schedule. Awesome. Well, maybe to wrap it up, Clay, over the next 12 to 24 months, what are the milestones people should be watching for X Energy? You mentioned, you know, maybe some, uh, some stuff coming out of Canada. Uh, You'll be submitting your, uh, your application next year for NRC, right? But is there anything else in the next 12, 24 that, that you'd put out there as sort of a milestone to demonstrate that you're on track with, with the plan? Yeah, uh, the, the most, uh, again, uh, the most important thing is, is really we're heavily focused on all matters that relate to that path to first criticality, that path to first successful project delivery. And so, again, it starts with the fuel. Our license application in April, 
you know, getting our license uh, uh, approval in approximately 24 months, breaking ground on our fuel fabrication facility uh, later this year, having that fuel facility operational in 2025. Those are all key milestones in our future. Being heavily involved with the Department of Energy in facilitating a commercial HALU market is something that is, again, on our critical pathway. And so we, we, we work very closely both with the Department of Energy and the enrichment partners to facilitate that. And then on the, on the reactor uh, side, you know, it's, it's staying ahead of schedule on our, our XE100 design activities, again, to be in a position to complete 100% of our design uh, by the first quarter of 2025. For our customers, we anticipate that uh, uh, in, in the coming weeks, Grant County Public Utility District, which we which will be our first customer on the advanced reactor demonstration project. They're, they're part of Energy Northwest, that they will announce their preferred site. And we will continue with site characterization activities on that site, which will inform our construction permit application. So that's an announcement that you should see uh, in, in the coming months. Uh, we expect specific site announcements out of both Canada and from Dow Chemical in the coming months on exactly where uh, the, those initial projects will go. And then, you know, we've also made a, a significant market entry in the UK. Energy security has quite sadly, due to the activities in Eastern Europe uh, with the Putin invasion of Ukraine, you know, matters of energy security have taken on increased resonance and priority, uh, particularly in the European economies and particularly in the UK. So activities have dramatically accelerated there. About a year ago, uh, the, the, the UK government identified high temperature gas cooled reactors as the preferred technology to decarbonize their industrial sector and to produce hydrogen. They didn't pick, pick X energy, but they did pick the technology that we are the leading uh, proponent of. So we are heavily engaged with UK government and with our partners, uh, Cavendish Nuclear in, in the UK, to bring a project to fruition there. And, and quite frankly, you should expect announcements uh, uh, from us out of the UK uh, in the coming months as well. So we've got a, a tremendous amount of business development interest from the industrial sector, from chemical companies, from electric generators in the US, Canada, and in Europe. Uh, only a, a, a small number of those have been announced as is appropriate for this stage of the game. But uh, more, you can expect more announcements from us uh, in, in the coming months as each of those projects achieves milestones where it's appropriate to start engaging the public uh, on the company's plans. That's a great overview, Clay. You've been very generous with your, your time. So uh, we'll leave it there. But thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we'll look forward to chatting again soon. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.